Hello and welcome back to another episode of A Cozy Christmas Podcast. My name is Art and I'm the host of the show and we are in full swing of the burr months now. Somebody needs to tell Iowa to start cooling it down though. It has been really hot and humid here still. I just am not accepting that. Um, That needs to change. So uh, if you are having some good, cool fall weather coming in your area, do me a favor and blow some my way, would you? I would greatly appreciate that. Well, I've got a fun episode ahead for you today with a story, an old classic Christmas story called Christmas Jenny. And uh, we'll find out all about that story in a little while. To kick things off, let's talk about books. The reading challenge for the month of September is It's a Wonderful Life. The challenge is to reread an old favorite. It could be Um, a classic Christmas story that is a favorite of yours, or uh, maybe a favorite novel, or even a nonfiction book. Now, I I know I've talked about my uh, experiences with the film, and it took me a while to appreciate it for what it is, but uh, as I'm getting older now, I've kind of grown to appreciate what the story there in It's a Wonderful Life of George Bailey and, and just his persistent goodness that he shows everyone. Um, there's several old favorites of mine I could read, like perhaps something by Ray Bradbury or uh, Charles Dickens, of course, um, plenty of his works I could reread. But I'm in the mood for uh, something Christmassy, so I'll have to think I might read Matt Haig's a-, a Boy Called Christmas or the sequel The Girl Who Saved Christmas. Those are both really fantastic stories that will get you in the Christmas mood. Those are some thoughts I had as to what I could reread this month. The next three months reading challenge starting in October, I'm really looking forward to uh, as we're getting closer to the end of this year. And uh, if you have been reading along with me, even if it's only been some of the prompts, not all of them, let me know how that's been going for you. Let me know what you've been reading. I've been trying to interact with you all on social medias, especially on Wednesdays, but life being what it is, I, I don't always get a chance to do it. Feel free to just reach out to me, post something on on my socials, send me a message, a DM, an email, cozychristmaspodcast at gmail.com, and I'll uh, respond and probably will uh, read your letter on, or your email on an upcoming episode. Uh, so I'd love to know how that's going for you. Well, I've got a couple of pretty exciting news items here, um, some new things I'll be doing this month in addition to my podcasts. First of all, I am Todd Killian from Christmas Clatter is inviting me on to his live stream on September 21st. That's a Wednesday evening. It'll be uh, eight o'clock central standard time. But yeah, I'm really excited. Todd invited me on. It's going to be my first time doing a live episode. So I'll be live on YouTube September 21st. That's the plan right now. We're going to talk about some Christmas-related things, of course. Uh, it might involve a book. It might involve a movie. Uh, we'll see. And then something very different I'm really excited about, and some of you might have seen this already. Bill over at the villagecollector.com website uh, has invited me to write uh, a blog, uh, a Christmas blog on his on his website. So if you head over there to the What's New page, I believe it is, uh, Uh, Anyway, look around. I'll have a link in the show notes. But uh, on the day this episode drops, uh, today should be September 12th. My first blog post should also be up. And it's called the the Christmas Corner. 
I'll be um, blogging over there on thevillagecollector.com. Bill was just so generous to offer me a spot there. He said his website needed a little more Christmas, and he thought of me right away, and I am just greatly honored and appreciate that. So basically what the blog is going to be is just some of my Christmas musings, Christmas remembrances, some of the Christmas things I collect, stuff like that. For for starters, I'm probably going to write about a couple of months uh, just to see how that goes and if I can keep up that pace. My temptation is always to just jump in with both feet and not really think about if I have time to do these things. But uh, I feel like doing about two a month right now is about what I can handle. And hopefully I'll, I'll do more if if things go well there and if I can think of enough things to write about. I mean, I'm sure I can. There may be a little bit of overlap in content between what I talk about on the podcast and what I t- write about there. Anyway, I expect it to be new from what I'm doing on my, and different from what I'm doing here on the podcast. You need a little something Christmassy to read. If you like to read blogs, um, you can head over to Bill's site at thevillagecollector.com and uh, you can spend hours and hours there. Um, it's a family-friendly website. Everything there is free. And uh, Bill just does a great job of keeping that website going. And you can find some great videos there of people's Christmas villages that they've set up and and filmed and set to music and um, a lot of good stuff over there. So if you need a little bit of Christmas spirit in your life uh, today, I'd head over to thevillagecollector.com and check them out. So yeah, I'm really excited about that and, and kind of branching out into a new direction in some of the stuff I'm doing here. Okay, on we go. Let's head over to the fireplace and we'll have ourselves a Christmas story. The Christmas Alphabet Podcast is all about Christmas in alphabetical order. I'm Wayne, your host, and I bring you a new episode every two weeks throughout the year. Each time we look at Christmas history, food, music, and fun facts, starting with just one letter of the alphabet. Join me as we follow the alphabet all through the year, all about Christmas. Subscribe and join us at the Christmas Alphabet Podcast. Today's story is called Christmas Jenny, and it's written by Mary E. Wilkins Freeman. This is from her Wikipedia article. Mary Freeman was born in Randolph, Massachusetts on October 31st, 1852. And uh, she was born to a very religious household. Uh, Her parents were very strict congregationalists. I'm not sure even if I could define what that denomination is or what they believe, but it sounds like she grew up in a very strict Christian household. Uh, But then as an adult, she became... Uh, again, somewhat of a feminist. One of the things I thought that was unusual about her life for the time, she uh, also went to college and lived independently for a while. But then in 1883, uh, so she would have been about 31 years old or so, her father died. And according to the Wikipedia article, it says that he died suddenly, leaving her without any immediate family and an estate worth only $973 which isn't a lot of money when that's all that's left. It goes on, it says, Wilkins returned to her hometown to Randolph. She moved in with her friend, Mary J. Wales, and began writing as her only source of income. Uh, it goes on to say that in 1892, she met a Dr. Charles Manning Freeman, a non-practicing medical doctor who was seven years younger than she. 
After years of courtship and delays, the two were married on January 1st, 1902. Um, <laughs> so she, here she is, a, an older woman, uh, probably close to her 50s now, and she marries uh, this man who's seven years her, her younger. Immediately after, she firmly established her name as Mary E. Wilkins Freeman, which she asked Harper's, uh, the magazine she wrote for, to use on all of her work. The couple built a home in New Jersey, where Freeman became a local celebrity for her writing, despite having occasionally published satirical fictional representations of her neighbors. And now, unfortunately, her husband suffered from alcoholism and an addiction to sleeping powders. Uh, he also had a reputation for driving fast horses and wom womanizing. He was committed to the New Jersey State Hospital for the Insane in Trenton, and the two legally separated a year later. After his death in 1923, he left the majority of his wealth to his chauffeur and only one dollar to his former wife. Ouch. Rude much? Okay, she had to put up with your nonsense for that long and you only left her a dollar? My man, we need to have some words here. <clears throat> anyway, in April 1926, Freeman became the first recipient of the William Dean Howells Medal for Distinction in Fiction from the American Academy of Arts and Letters. Freeman suffered a heart attack and died in New Jersey on March 15, 1930, at age 77. She was laid to rest in Hillside Cemetery in Scotch Plains, New Jersey. Although she produced a dozen volumes of short stories and as many novels, Freeman is remembered chiefly for the first two collections of stories, A Humble Romance and Other Stories, and A New England Nun and Other Stories. Well, quite the character she was. Now, Christmas Jenny tells the story of a local woman that people have named Christmas Jenny. She's sturdy, she's strong, and she's tough. And I can't help but wonder, having read some of Mary Wilkins's biography, if maybe she wasn't projecting a little bit of herself onto this character. You'll see as the story unfolds that it's a story of kindness and compassion, and Christmas is there as well. So if you're ready, go ahead and Settle yourself in by the Christmas air conditioner or the Christmas fire, depending on where you're at. And let's enjoy Christmas Jenny by Mary E. Wilkins Freeman, first published in 1888. The day before there had been a rain and a thaw. Then in the night the wind had suddenly blown from the north, and it had grown cold. In the morning it was very clear and cold, and there was the hard glitter of ice over everything. The snow crust had a thin coat of ice, and all the open fields shone and flashed. The tree boughs and trunks, and all the little twigs were enameled with ice. The roads were glare and slippery with it, and so were the door yards. In old Jonas Carey's yard, the path that sloped from the door to the well was like a frozen brook. Quite early in the morning, old Jonas Carey came out with a pail and went down the path to the well. He went slowly and laboriously, shuffling his feet, so he should not fall. He was tall and gaunt, and one side of his body seemed to slant toward the other. He settled so much more heavily upon one foot. He was somewhat stiff and lame from rheumatism. He reached the well in safety, hung the pail, and began pumping. He pumped with extreme slowness and steadiness. A certain expression of stolid solemnity, which his face wore, never changed. When he had filled his pail, 
He took it carefully from the pump spout and started back to the house, shuffling as before. He was two-thirds of the way to the door when he came to an extremely slippery place. Just there, some roots from a little cherry tree crossed the path, and the ice made a dangerous little pitch over them. Old Jonas lost his footing and sat down suddenly. The water was all spilled. The house door flew open and an old woman appeared. Oh, Jonas, are you hurt? She cried, blinking wildly and terrifiedly in the brilliant light. The old man never said a word. He sat still and looked straight before him solemnly. Oh, Jonas, you ain't broke any bones, have you? The old woman gathered up her skirts and began to edge off the doorstep with trembling knees. Then the old man raised his voice. Stay where you be, he said imperatively. Go back to the house. He began to raise himself one joint at a time, and the old woman went back into the house and looked out of the window at him. When old Jonas finally stood upon his feet, it seemed as if he had actually constructed himself, so piecemeal his rising had been. He went back to the pump, hung the pail under the spout, and filled it. Then he started on the return with more caution than before. When he reached the dangerous place, his feet flew up again, he sat down and the water was spilled. The old woman appeared in the door, her dim blue eyes were quite round, her delicate chin was dropped. Oh, Jonas! Go back! cried the old man with an imperative jerk of his head toward her, and she retreated. This time he arose more quickly and made quite a lively shuffle back to the pump. But when his pail was filled and he again started on the return, his caution was redoubled. He seemed to scarcely move at all. When he approached the dangerous spot, his progress was hardly more perceptible than a scaly leaf slugs. Repose almost lapped over motion. The old woman in the window watched breathlessly. The slippery place was almost past. The shuffle quickened a little. The old man sat down again, and the tin pail struck the ice with a clatter. The old woman appeared. Oh, Jonas! Jonas did not look at her. He sat perfectly motionless. Jonas, are you hurt? Do speak to me for mercy's sake. Jonas did not stir. Then the old woman let herself carefully off the step. She squatted down upon the icy path and hitched along to Jonas. She caught hold of his arm. Jonas, you, you don't feel as if any of your bones were broke, do you? Her voice was almost sobbing. Her small frame was all of a tremble. Go back, said Jonas. That was all he would say. The old woman's tearful entreaties did not move him in the least. Finally, she hitched herself back to the house and took up her station in the window. Once in a while, she rapped on the pane and beckoned piteously. But old Jonas Carey sat still. His solemn face was inscrutable. Over his head stretched the icy cherry branches full of the flicker and dazzle of diamonds. A woodpecker flew into the tree and began tapping at the trunk, but the ice enamel was so hard that he could not get any food. Old Jonas sat so still that he did not mind him. A jay flew on the fence within a few feet of him. A sparrow pecked at some weeds piercing the snow crust beside the door. Over in the east arose the mountain, covered with frosty foliage full of silver and blue and diamond lights. The air was stinging. Old Jonas paid no attention to anything. He sat there. The old woman ran to the door again. Oh, Jonas, you're free sitting there she pleaded. Can't you get up? Your bones ain't broke, are they? Jonas was silent. Oh, Jonas, there's Christmas Jenny coming down the road. What do you suppose she'll think? Old Jonas Carey was unmoved. 
but his old wife eagerly watched the woman coming down the road. The woman looked oddly at a distance. Like a broad green moving bush, she was dragging something green after her, too. When she came nearer, one could see that she was laden with evergreen wreaths. Her arms were strung with them. Long sprays of ground pine were wound around her shoulders. She carried a basket trailing with them, and holding also many little bouquets of bright-colored everlasting flowers. She dragged a sled with a small hemlock tree bound upon it. She came along sturdily over the slippery road. When she reached the carry gate, she stopped and looked over at Jonas. Is he hurt? she sung out to the old woman. I don't know. He fell down three times. Jenny came through the gate and proceeded straight to Jonas. She left her sled in the road. She stooped, brought her basket on a level with Jonas's head, and gave him a little push with it. What's the matter with you? Jonas did not wink. Your bones ain't broke, are they? Jenny stood looking at him for a moment. She wore a black hood. Her large face was weather-beaten, deeply tanned and reddened. Her features were strong but heavily cut. She made one think of those sylvan faces with features composed of bark wrinkles and knot holes that one can fancy looking out of the trunks of trees. She was not an aged woman, but her hair was iron gray and crinkled as closely as gray moss. Finally, she turned toward the house. I'm coming in a minute, she said to Jonas's wife and trod confidently up the icy steps. Don't you slip, said the old woman tremulously. I ain't afraid of slipping. When they were in the house, she turned around on Mrs. Carey. Don't you fuss. He ain't hurt. No, I don't suppose he is. It's just one of his tantrums, but I don't know what I'm going to do. Leave him alone. Let him sit there. Oh, he's tipped all that water over and I'm afeard he'll freeze down. Oh, dear. Let him freeze. Don't you fuss, Betsy. I was just going to get breakfast. Miss Gill, she sent us in two sausage cakes. I was going to fry him, and I just asked him to go out and draw a pail of water so as to fill up the tea kettle. Oh, dear. Jenny sat her basket in a chair, strode peremptorily out of the house, picked up the tin pail, which lay on its side near Jonas, filled it at the well, and returned. She wholly ignored the old man. When she entered the door, his eyes relaxed their solemn stare at vacancy and darted a swift glance after her. Now fill up the kittle and fry the sausages, she said to Miss Carey. I'm afeard he won't get up and they'll be cold. Sometimes his tantrums last a considerable while. You see, he sought down three times and he's awful mad. I don't see who he thinks he's spitting. I don't know, lest it's Providence. I reckon Providence don't care much where he sets. Oh, Jenny, I'm dreadful afeard he'll freeze down. No, he won't. Put on the sausages. Jonas's wife went about getting out the frying pan, crooning over her complaint all the time. He's dreadful fond of sausages, she said, when the odor of the frying sausages became apparent in the room. He'll smell em and come in, remarked Jenny dryly. He knows there ain't but two cakes, and he'll be afeard you'll give me one of em. She was right. Before long, the two women, taking sly peeps from the window, saw old Jonas lumberingly getting up. Now don't say nothing to him about it when he comes in, whispered Jenny. When the old man clumped into the kitchen, neither of the women paid any attention to him. His wife turned the sausages and Jenny was gathering up her wreaths. Jonas let himself down into a chair and looked at them uneasily. 
Jenny laid down her wreaths. Going to stay to breakfast? said the old man. Well, I don't know, replied Jenny. Them sausages do smell tempting. All Jonas's solemnity had vanished. He looked foolish and distressed. Do take off your hood, Jenny, urged Betsy. I ain't very fond of sausages myself, and I just as lives you to have my cake as not. Jenny laughed broadly and good-naturedly, and began gathering up her wreaths again. Laura, I don't want your sausage cake, she said. I've had my breakfast. I'm going down to the village to sell my wreaths. Jonas's face lit up. Pleasant day, ain't it? he remarked affably. Jenny grew sober. I don't think it's a very pleasant day. Guess you wouldn't if you was a woodpecker or a blue jay, she replied. Jonas looked at her with stupid inquiry. They can't get no breakfast, said Jenny. They can't get through the ice on the trees. They'll starve if there ain't a thaw pretty soon. I've got to buy em something down to the store. I'm going to feed a few of em. I ain't going to see em dine in my dooryard if I can help it. I've given em all I could spare from my own birds this morning. It's too bad, ain't it? I think it's too bad. I was going to buy me a new caliker dress if this freeze hadn't come, but I can't now. What it would cost will save a good many lives. Well, I got to hurry along if I'm going to get back today. Jenny, surrounded with her trailing masses of green, had to edge herself through the narrow doorway. She went straight to the village and peddled her wares from house to house. She had her regular customers. Every year, the week before Christmas, she came down from the mountain with her evergreens. She was popularly supposed to earn quite a sum of money in that way. In the summer, she sold vegetables, but the green Christmas traffic was regarded as her legitimate business. It had given her her name among the villagers. However, the fantastic name may have arisen from the popular conception of Jenny's character. She also was considered somewhat fantastic, although there was no doubt of her sanity. In her early youth, she had had an unfortunate love affair that was supposed to have tinctured her whole life with an alien element. Lovecracked, people called her. Christmas Jenny's kind of lovecracked, they said. She was Christmas Jenny in midsummer, when she came down the mountain laden with green peas and string beans and summer squashes. She owned a little house and a few acres of cleared land on the mountain, and in one way or another, she picked up a living from it. It was noon today before she had sold all her evergreens and started up the mountain road for home. She had laid in a small stock of provisions, and she carried them in the basket which had held the little bunches of life everlasting and amaranth flowers and dried grasses. The road wound along the base of the mountain. She had to follow it about a mile, then she struck into a cart path which led up to the clearing where her house was. After she passed Jonas Carey's, there was no houses and no people, but she met many living things that she knew. A little field mouse scratching warily from cover to cover, lest his enemies should spy him, had appreciative notice from Jenny Rain. She turned her head at the call of a jay, and she caught a glimmer of blue through the dazzling white boughs. She saw with sympathetic eyes a woodpecker drumming on the ice-bound trunk of a tree. Now and then she scattered with regretful sparseness some seeds and crumbs from her parcels. At the point where she left the road for the cart path, there was a gap in the woods and a clear view of the village below. She stopped and looked back at it. It was quite a large village. Over it hung a spraying network of frosty branches. The smoke arose straight up from the chimneys. Down in the village street, a girl and a young man were walking, talking about her, but she did not know that. The girl was the minister's daughter. 
She had just become engaged to the young man and was walking with him in broad daylight with a kind of shamefaced pride. Whenever they met anybody, she blushed, and at the same time held up her head proudly and swung one arm with an airy motion. She chattered glibly and quite loudly to cover her embarrassment. Yes, she said in a sweet, crisp voice. Christmas Jenny has just been to the house and we've bought some wreaths. We're going to hang them in all the front windows. Mother didn't know, as we ought to buy them of her, there's so much talk, but I don't believe a word of it for my part. What talk? asked the young man. He held himself very stiff and straight and never turned his head when he shot swift, smiling glances at the girl's pink face. Why, don't you know? It's town talk. They say she's got a lot of birds and rabbits and things shut up in cages and half starves them. And then that little deaf and dumb boy, you know, they say she treats him dreadfully. They're going to look into it. Father and Deacon Little are going up there this week. Are they? said the young man. He was listening to the girl's voice with a sort of rapturous attention, but he had little idea as to what she was saying. As they walked, they faced the mountain. It was only the next day when the minister and Deacon Little made the visit. They started up a flock of sparrows that were feeding by Jenny's door. But the birds did not fly very far. They settled into a tree and watched. Jenny's house was hardly more than a weather-beaten hut, but there was a grapevine trained over one end, and the front yard was tidy. Just before the house stood a tall pine tree. At the rear and on the right stretched the remains of Jenny's last summer's garden, full of plough ridges and glistening corn stubble. Jenny was not at home. The minister knocked and got no response. Finally, he lifted the latch and the two men walked in. The room seemed gloomy after the brilliant light outside. They could not see anything at first, but they could hear a loud and demonstrative squeaking and chirping and twittering that their entrance appeared to excite. At length, a small pink and white face cleared out of the gloom in the chimney corner. It surveyed the visitors with no fear nor surprise, but seemingly with an innocent amiability. That's the little deaf and dumb boy, said the minister in a subdued voice. The minister was an old man, narrow-shouldered and clad in long-waisted and crinkly black. Deacon Little reared himself in his sinewy leanness until his head nearly touched the low ceiling. His face was sallow and severely corrugated, but the features were handsome. Both stood staring remorselessly at the little deaf and dumb boy, who looked up in their faces with an expression of delicate wonder and amusement. The little boy was dressed like a girl, in a long blue gingham pinafore. He sat in the midst of a heap of evergreens, which he had been twining into wreaths. His pretty, soft, fair hair was damp, and lay in a very flat and smooth scallop over his full white forehead. He looks as if he was well cared for, said Deacon Little. Both men spoke in hushed tones. It was hard for them to realize that the boy could not hear, the more so because every time their lips moved, his smile deepened. He was not in the least afraid. They moved around the room, half guiltily, and surveyed everything. It was unlike any apartment that they had ever entered. It had a curious sylvan air. There were heaps of evergreens here and there, and some small green trees leaned in one corner. All around the room, hung on the walls, standing on rude shelves, were little rough cages and hutches, from which the twittering and chirping sounded. They contained forlorn little birds and rabbits and field mice. The birds had rough feathers and small dejected heads. One rabbit had an injured leg. One field mouse seemed nearly dead. The men eyed them sharply. The minister drew a sigh. The deacon's handsome face looked harder. But they did not say what they thought, 
on account of the little deaf and dumb boy, whose pleasant blue eyes never left their faces. When they had made the circuit of the room and stood again by the fireplace, he suddenly set up a cry. It was wild and inarticulate, still not wholly dissonant, and it seemed to have a meaning of its own. It united with the cries of the little caged wild creatures, and it was all like a soft clamor of eloquent appeal to the two visitors, but they could not understand it. They stood solemn and perplexed by the fireplace. Had we better wait till she comes? asked the minister. I don't know, said Deacon Little. Back of them arose the tall mantel shelf. On it were a clock and a candlestick, and regularly laid bunches of brilliant dried flowers, all ready for Jenny to put in her basket and sell. Suddenly there was a quick scrape on the crusty snow outside, the door flew open, and Jonas Carey's wife came in. She had her shawl over her head and she was panting for breath. She stood before the two men, and a sudden crust of shy formality seemed to form over her. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, she said in response to their salutations. She looked at them for a moment and tightened her shawl pin. Then the restraint left her. I knowed you was here, she cried in her weak, vehement voice. I knowed it. I've heard the talk. I knowed somebody was going to come up here and spire out. I was in Miss Gregg's the other day, and her husband came home. He'd been down to the store, and he said that they were talking about Jenny and saying she didn't treat Willie and the birds well, and the town was going to look into it. I knowed you was coming up here when I seed you go by. I told Jonas so, and I knowed she went to home. And there weren't nothing here that could speak, and I told Jonas I was coming. I couldn't stand it nohow. It's dreadfully slippery. I had to go on my hands and knees in some places, and I've sought down twice, but I don't care. I ain't going to have you coming up here to spy on Jenny and nobody to home that's got any tongue to speak for her. Mrs. Carey stood before them like a ruffled and defiant bird that was frightening herself as well as them with her temerity. She palpitated all over, but there was a fierce look in her dim blue eyes. The minister began a deprecating murmur, which the deacon drowned. You can speak for her all you want to, Mrs. Carey, said he. We ain't got any objections to hearing it, and we didn't know but what she was home. Do you know what she does with these birds and things? Does with them? Well, I'll tell you what she does with them. She picks them up in the woods when they're starving and freezing and half dead, and she brings them in here and takes care of them and feeds them till they get well, and then she lets them go again. That's what she does. You see that rabbit there? Well, he's... he's been in a trap. Somebody wanted to kill the poor little creeter. You see that robin? Somebody fired a gun at him and broke his wing. That's what she does. I don't know, but it mounts to just about as much as sending money to missionaries. I don't know, but what being a missionary to robins and starving chippies and little deaf and dumb children is just as good as some other kinds, and that's what she is. I ain't afeard to speak. I'm going to tell the whole story. I don't know what folks mean by talking about her the way they do. There she took the little one out of the poor house. Nobody else wanted him. He don't look as if he was abused very bad, far as I can see. She keeps him just as nice and neat as she can, and he and the birds has enough to eat if she don't herself. I guess I know about it. Here she is going without a new calico dress, so she's to get something for them birds that can't get at the trees, because there's so much ice on them. You can't tell me nothing. When Jonas has one of his tantrums, she can get him out of it quicker than anybody I ever see. She ain't going to be talked about it and spied upon if I can help it. They tell about her being love-cracked. Hmm. I don't know what they call love-cracked, 
I know that Anderson feller went off and married another girl when Jenny just as much expected to have him as could be. He ought to have been strung up. But I know one thing. If she did get kind of twisted out of the regular road of lovin', she's in another one that's full of little boys and starvin' chippies and lame rabbits and... And she ain't love cracked no more than other folks. Mrs. Carey, carried away by affection and indignation, almost spoke in poetry. Her small face glowed pink. Her blue eyes were full of fire. She waved her arms under her shawl. The little meek old woman was a veritable enthusiast. The two men looked at each other. The deacon's handsome face was as severe and grave as ever, but he waited for the minister to speak. When the minister did speak, it was apologetically. He was a gentle old man, and the deacon was his mouthpiece in matters of parish discipline. If he failed him, he betrayed how feeble and kindly a pipe was his own. He told Mrs. Carey that he did not doubt everything was as it should be. He apologized for their presence. He praised Christmas Jenny. Then he and the deacon retreated. They were thankful to leave that small, vociferous old woman who seemed to be pulling herself up by her enthusiasm until she reached the air over their heads and became so abnormal that she was frightful. Indeed, everything out of the broad common track was a horror to these men and to many of their village fellows. Strange shadows that their eyes could not pierce lay upon such, and they were suspicious. The popular sentiment against Jenny Rain was originally the outcome of this characteristic, which was a remnant of the old New England witchcraft superstition. More than anything else, Jenny's eccentricity, her possibly uncanny deviation from the ordinary ways of life, had brought this inquiry upon her. In actual meaning, although not even in self-acknowledgement, it was a witch-hunt that went up the mountain road that December afternoon. They hardly spoke on the way. Once the minister turned to the deacon, I rather think there's no occasion for interference, he said hesitatingly. I guess there ain't any need of it, answered the deacon. The deacon spoke again when they had nearly reached his own house. I guess I'll send her up a little something Christmas, said he. Deacon Little was a rich man. Maybe it would be a good idea, returned the minister. I'll see what I can do. Christmas was one week from that day. On Christmas morning, old Jonas Carey and his wife, dressed in their best clothes, started up the mountain road to Jenny Rains. Old Jonas wore his great coat and had his wife's cashmere scarf round twice around his neck. Mrs. Carey wore her long shawl and her best bonnet. They walked along quite easily. The ice was all gone now. There had been a light fall of snow the day before, but it was not shoe deep. The snow was covered with the little tracks of Jenny's friends, the birds and the field mice and the rabbits, in pretty zigzag lines. Jonas Carey and his wife walked along comfortably until they reached the cart path. Then the old man's shoestring became loose and he tripped over it. He stooped and tied it laboriously. Then he went on. Pretty soon he stopped again. His wife looked back. What's the matter? said she. Shoestring untied, replied old Jonas in a half inarticulate grunt. Don't you want me to tie it, Jonas? Jonas said nothing more. He tied viciously. They were in sight of Jenny's house when he stopped again and sat down on the stone wall beside the path. Oh, Jonas, what is the matter? Jonas made no reply. His wife went up to him and saw that the shoestring was loose again. Oh, Jonas, do let me tie it. I'd just as soon as not. Shan't I, Jonas? Jonas sat there in the midst of the snowy blackberry vines and looked straight ahead with a stony stare. His wife began to cry. Oh, Jonas, she pleaded. Don't you have a tantrum today? 
Shan't I tie it? I'll tie it real strong. Oh, Jonas. The old woman fluttered around the old man in his great coat on the wall like a distressed bird around her mate. Jenny Rain opened her door and looked out. Then she came down the path. What's the matter? She asked. Oh, Jenny, I don't know what to do. He's got another tantrum. Has he fell down? No, that ain't it. His shoestrings come untied three times and he don't like it and he sat down on the wall. I don't know, but he'll sit there all day. Oh, dear me, says when we got most to your house and I was just thinking we'd come along real comfortable. I want to tie it for him, but he won't let me and I don't darst to when he sits there like that. Oh, Jonas, just let me tie it, won't you? I'll tie it real nice and strong so it won't undo again. Jenny caught hold of her arm. Come right into the house, said she in a hearty voice. She quite turned her back upon the figure on the wall. Oh, Jenny, I can't go in and leave him to sit in there. I shouldn't wonder if he sat there all day. You don't know nothing about it. Sometimes I have to stand and argue with him for hours before he'll stir. Come right in. The turkey's most done and we'll set right down as soon as it tis. It's about the fattest turkey I ever see. I don't know where Deacon Little could have got it. The plum pudding's all done. And the vegetables is most ready to take up. Come right in and we'll have dinner in less than half an hour. After the two women had entered the house, the figure on the wall cast an uneasy glance at it without turning his head. He sniffed a little. It was quite true that he could smell the roasting turkey and the turnip and onions out there. In the house, Mrs. Carey laid aside her bonnet and shawl and put them on the bed in Jenny's little bedroom. A Christmas present, a new calico dress, which Jenny had received the night before, lay on the bed also. Jenny showed it with pride. It's that chocolate color I've always liked, she said. I don't see what put it into their heads. It's real handsome, said Mrs. Carey. She had not told Jenny about her visitors. But she was not used to keeping a secret, and her possession of one gave a curious expression to her face. However, Jenny did not notice it. She hurried about preparing dinner, the stove was covered with steaming pots. The turkey in the oven could be heard sizzling. The little deaf and dumb boy sat in his chimney corner and took long sniffs. He watched Jenny and regarded the stove in a rapture, or he examined some treasures that he held in his lap. There were picture books and cards and boxes of candy and oranges. He held them all tightly gathered into his pinafore. The little caged wild things twittered sweetly and pecked at their food. Jenny laid the table with the best tablecloth in her mother's flower china. The mountain farmers, of whom Jenny sprang, had had their little decencies and comforts, and there were china and a linen tablecloth for a Christmas dinner, poor as the house was. Mrs. Carey kept peering uneasily out of the window at her husband on the stone wall. If you want him to come in, you'll keep away from the window, said Jenny, and the old woman settled into a chair near the stove. Very soon the door opened and Jonas came in. Jenny was bending over the potato kettle and she did not look around. You can put his great coat on the bed if you've a mind to, Mrs. Carey, said she. Jonas got out of his coat and sat down with sober dignity. He had tied his shoestring very neatly and firmly. After a while he looked over at the little deaf and dumb boy who was smiling at him and he smiled back again. The Careys stayed until evening. Jenny set her candle in the window to light them down the cart path. Down in the village, the minister's daughter and her betrothed were out walking to the church. 
where there was a Christmas tree. It was quite dark. She clung closely to his arm, and once in a while her pink cheek brushed his sleeve. The stars were out, many of them, and more were coming. One seemed suddenly to flash out on the dark side of the mountain. There's Christmas Jenny's candle, said the girl. And it was Christmas Jenny's candle, but it was also something more. Like all common things, it had, and was, its own poem, and that was A Christmas Star. The End Well, I hope you enjoyed today's story. I really loved the way it was written, how you learn so much about Christmas Jenny and her character, not even so much from her, but from watching the other people in town talking about her and reflecting on the experiences they've had with her. I I love Christmas Jenny's character that she is so kind. Even though she's been heartbroken in love, uh, you, you know that she, instead of becoming an old miser like Scrooge, Uh, What a great contrast between the two characters. So Scrooge clung to his money and pushed everyone away. And Christmas Jenny sought out those who were helpless and hurt and took care of them. So that was seen in, you know, how she took care of the birds and the animals in her cages. That was even seen how she adopted the little boy and brought him into her house and fed him, kept him clean clothed him and yeah I don't know why you know he was dressing in a in a dress and not boy clothes but you know whatever anyway you know I, I just I love that what a wonderful reminder it is to us of kindness and the effect that kindness can have on the town around on your town and in, in, in your people boy the the two church folks they sure didn't seem like they were written in a very good light um if the story were to have the uh antagonist I suppose it would be them I'm not sure though but I I was kind of baffled at how they just felt free to walk into her house and and look around that that part of the story bothered me Uh, Mrs. Jonas came up and set them straight so that was that was nice and then um, Mr. Jonas and how he kept falling down and then he'd get mad and then he'd throw this temper tantrum basically Um, and I don't know what he was wanting out of that if he's doing it for attention or what But boy, Christmas Jenny sure knew how to handle him and just put him in his place. This story really just showed her skill, Freeman's skill as comic writer, but also how she was able to to layer so much character on these characters. And like I mentioned, revealing Christmas Jenny's character without really us seeing her do much. It was, again, the way she impacted the people around her that we get to know Christmas Jenny. Well, so I don't know about you, but if uh, I ever get the chance to retire living in a a little cabin up in the mountains and coming down in the winter to sell Christmas wreaths, that sounds like a nice, nice retirement to me. I found it interesting that the the pastor and the deacon of the church were, as the story basically says, they were on a witch hunt because, you know, Jenny acted differently. She didn't do what was normal. And therefore they were kind of looking out for reasons to, uh, you know, to get her to stop upsetting the, the status quo, you know, and, and very 
old school way of thinking. And so, yes, it had some dated language to it, but it had some very modern sensibilities to it. Uh, So I hope you enjoyed that. A nice, charming little atmospherically cold story for you today. Well, a couple things again before I go. Please don't forget to head over to thevillagecollector.com and uh, look for the Christmas Corner uh, page and you'll get to see my very first blog there for uh, the website. And then also don't forget on the evening of September 21st, I will be live with Todd Killian from Christmas Clatter uh, on a live stream on YouTube. Make sure you're following his channel. If you're following me in my socials, I'll be make sure to post the links there so people can just click over and enjoy an evening of Christmas with myself and Todd. Well, next Monday, I'll be back with a special guest. We'll be talking underrated Christmas movies. And then uh, there'll be another story the week after that. If you would like to help support the podcast, sharing this online and the episodes online are, are so helpful, helping people find Uh, helping me find my audience. I really appreciate that. Um, I know that several of you have shared some episodes recently, so thank you so much for that. Also, if you want to help out in a financial way, um, you can uh, make a donation on ko-fi.com. The link's in the the show notes. And with your first donation, I'll send you a Christmas card and and a bookmark. Um, And it's greatly appreciated. Also, if you want to check out both my Etsy and the uh, Tee Public store, I've got a new uh, Christmas nerd t-shirt and like a beanie hat thing. Yeah, so if you feel like representing as a Christmas nerd, uh, I put together a little graphic for you there. You can find those in the show notes and the uh, proceeds go to uh, help support the podcast. Well, I appreciate it so much. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it so much. As always, I want to remind you to be kind and to do good. And remember to honor Christmas in your heart and try to keep it all the year. Have a very Merry Christmas. If you are a professional looking at the European startup scene, Germany is a place you cannot miss. Fortunately for you, there is StartupRad.io, the authority on German startups. This English-only podcast brings you fresh interviews each week. Most likely, you have never heard or read anything on these startups before in English, but you will in the future. Be ahead of the curve and subscribe to StartupRad.eo podcast or check for the StartupRad.eo internet radio station. Check your Alexa for the StartupRad.eo skill as well.